Welcome to Faith and Freedom. We hope to inform, inspire, and encourage you to stand up for faith and freedom as we discuss victories and challenges in the courts, in public policy, and in the culture. Faith and Freedom is brought to you by Liberty Council, a litigation, education, and policy organization. Join us now as we address the latest cultural issues across America and around the world. South Carolina Supreme Court reverses previous stance and now upholds a pro-life law. We're going to be talking about this on Faith and Freedom. I'm Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council. Joining me is Holly Mead. You know, Matt, this is an unprecedented case of where the court originally ruled one way, and then now it's ruled a different way in the same year. Yeah, in the same year. Uh, it's interesting because now the South Carolina Supreme Court has upheld the state's new Fetal Heartbeat and Protection from Abortion Act that mm -hmm. protects unborn babies that have a detectable fetal heartbeat after striking down the state's prior six-week abortion ban earlier this year when it ruled that it violated, at that time, the state's constitution. Yeah, you know, the first law, which the governor had signed, and then they appealed it, and the court denied it. Um, and then you had a change in the court. You had one of the justices resign, and then there was more information in that second um, law that gave a justice more insight into what he needed to do, and he changed his opinion. Yeah, changed his opinion. So This is really unprecedented, I think. Yeah, so Judge, Justice John Kittredge wrote the four-to-one majority opinion, and he stated, quote, the legislature has found that the state has a compelling interest in protecting the lives of unborn children. That finding is indisputable and one we must respect, close amen, quote. Amen, amen. So the high court noted the state's legislature enacted the law after vigorous debate and compromise, determining uh, protecting the unborn becomes, quote, actionable upon the detection of a fetal heartbeat, close quote. It goes on to say in the court decision, quote, it would be a rogue imposition of will by the judiciary for us to say that the legislature's determination is unreasonable as a matter of law. So finally, a court exercises judicial restraint. And, you know, the governor celebrated, you know, I just um, so pleased with him. He stated, with this victory, we protect the lives of countless unborn children and reaffirm South Carolina's place as one of the most pro-life states in America. I mean, how many governors do you see celebrate that? It's just awesome. It's so good to see that uh, because, you mm -hmm. know, following the Dobbs decision, the Democrats uh, in Washington, D.C. and on the state level, they went crazy over yeah. this, and they're very extreme in their positions on this as a, as a whole. Uh, you don't find any dissenters really anymore like you used to. You used to find some pro-life Democrats, and now you, if they are, they get frozen out from the system. Right. Republicans, on the other hand, uh, they should have had good talking points, and many of them kind of were quiet, and they ran from the issue. This is an incredibly important issue. Absolutely. But this ruling is a complete reversal for South Carolina's high court in January of this year. The court struck down the state's original fetal heartbeat and protection from Abortion Act in a three-to-two decision, citing the six-week ban put an unreasonable restriction upon a woman's so-called right to privacy and allotted women insufficient time to decide about the pregnancy. However, this opinion was written by Justice Kay Hearn, who recently retired 
giving uh, Justice D. Garrison Hill the chance to weigh in on the law. Uh, that person replaced Hearn. Mm -hmm. So we had one of those justices retire. It was three to two. Uh, one of them that wrote the decision now re retired, is gone. So that would make it two to two. Now you get a new person coming in to replace Hearn. That person eventually votes uh, uh, in this new case. And then also we have a justice in the original three, the majority opinion, changed his vote. So we have Justice John Few changed his opinion, believing the new law was less arbitrary. And with the new law's exceptions, it was a more reasonable standard by which to regulate most abortion. He just needed more information, really, was the bottom line. And he got the information the second time around, and he said, okay, I'm voting in favor of this pro-life law. Well, thanks to the legislature in South Carolina and Governor McMaster, the legislature went back to work after the first six-week abortion ban was struck down. They tweaked the law. They passed it again. Governor McMaster signed the six-week uh, law in May. Uh, that then went quickly back to the South Carolina Supreme Court. Now we have one of the justices gone, a new one replacing her, and then Justice Few changed his vote. Now we come out with a four-to-one majority decision to uphold this law. So this is a great decision, great reversal. Liberty Council filed an amicus brief in defense of South Carolina's original heartbeat law. The court, uh, during the second round of the new particular challenge, said it was not going to accept any additional or new amicus briefs while deliberating this new law. They had all the information they needed. Obviously, our brief in this case, um, uh, the case was uh, Planned Parenthood South Atlantic versus South Carolina. Uh, and that particular brief was filed already, outlining our position. Our brief was filed on behalf of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference and the Frederick Douglass Foundation. And, and, of course, as in all of our briefs on the subject, we're talking about abortion is racist. They are targeting your black and your Hispanic neighborhoods, and that's why we represent these um, National Hispanic Leadership Conference and the Frederick Douglass foundation because they have a vested interest in this this is their you know this is their communities that are being targeted with abortion well it's indisputable that margaret sanger intentionally placed her clinics sterilization clinics birth control clinics and then abortion clinics in these minority neighborhoods black neighborhoods hispanic neighborhoods other kinds of neighborhoods to reduce the minority human population. Right. She considered them weeds. She considered them weeds. She wanted to eliminate uh, certain populations and to uh, purify the race, if you will, uh, to remove the weeds from the garden of humanity. That would be essentially what she was doing. Uh, awful uh, eugenic uh, Darwin type of ideology. Uh, she was someone who was in line with the ideology of Darwin, Hitler, others. Um, she had, uh, according to a new book that I recently read uh, that was done as a result of a doctoral dissertation, she was a very promiscuous woman. She had affairs with H.G. Wells, um, with uh, George Bernard Shaw, with some of these others, the uh, founder of 3-in-1 Oil, remember that? three-in-one oil used to be able to find on the shelves. He helped uh, finance 
uh, her abortion industry. Uh, she spent her whole life to push forward this Malthusian idea. And the Malthusians were these eugenicists that wanted to do population control to limit the size of human population. They wanted to keep uh, the population under 7 billion people on the planet. Uh, they wanted to eliminate certain kinds of people so that they wouldn't pollute the human genome, if you will, because of their race, because of their inferiority. Awful situation. So we outline some of that in our brief on behalf of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, which is the largest evangelical Hispanic organization in the country, uh, and then also the Frederick Douglass Foundation, which is an African-American conservative uh, pro-life organization. Their communities have been specifically targeted even to this very day. Planned Parenthood abortion clinics are predominantly located in these black and brown or minority neighborhoods. Right. And, you know, the tragic thing here is, for example, Margaret Sanger, she would not embrace Yahweh God. She would not be accountable to him, but yet she thought she was a god. She could decide who lives and who dies, just like these other people that she saw as mentors. They all think they're gods, and they can decide, okay, we need to get rid of this particular population. That's absurd. She uh, was an atheist and was a socialist. Um, she uh, supported this whole population agenda. She, I believe, uh, influenced the China, eventually the China one-child policy. It was originally rejected, but then eventually put in place, and it was a mere image of what she had indicated. She wanted to, um, she had a position that, um, that you could not guarantee, you can't be guaranteed the right to be a parent, mother or father, that you should have to apply a license for a permit, to your local, state, or federal government agency to be able to have a child, and that you could only have a certain child over a certain period of time, and you had to be a fit person, both economically as well as physically in terms of different kinds of conditions that you have or do not have. Anyway, we filed this brief showing that uh, it has a racist eugenic history and asked the court to uh, shut the door, slam the door on this racist eugenic history. The good news is the Supreme Court now upholds this pro-life law. For more information, go to Liberty Council's website, lc.org forward slash life. You've been listening to Faith and Freedom, brought to you by Liberty Council. We hope that we have motivated you to stand up for your faith, family, and freedom. Visit Liberty Council's website at lc.org.